is up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording this on Sunday because I'm a busy fella. Mavericks play on Monday night. I'm going to be going to the mismatch at New Daisy Theater on Tuesday, and my recording days are on Wednesday, and recording uh, during the day is a little tough for this big-time guest, so Sunday night it is. Hopefully none of this uh, goes cold takes exposed or anything. But let, before I introduce our guests, let me tell you how you can keep it in touch with the blog and with the podcast. So GBB Live is the flagship Memphis Grizzlies podcast for Bluff City Media, a part of the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network feed. And you can find find it anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, and anywhere. You'll have GBB Live, Starting 5, Core 4, and Next Gen Grizzly Bear Bets. We got it all over at Grizzly Bear Blues and Bluff City Media, so check us out. Make sure you are following us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Go read all of our work over at bluffcitymedia.co. Become an insider as well, but I'll get into some inside stuff towards the end of the show. Let me introduce my guests. Well, for one, I'm your host, Parker Fleming. With me is none other than the co-host of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. He is the Memphis Grizzlies columnist for Bluff City Media. Uh, he has too many wrestling monikers of Grizzlies Twitter to keep up with. You have the Undertaker of Grizzlies Twitter, the Ric Flair of Grizzlies Twitter, the Big Show of Grizzlies Twitter. However you want to spin it, it's Joe Molinax, a.k.a. Mulligrizz. Joe, what's up, man? I, I, I think I'm more the Undertaker. If I have to pick one, I think I'm the Undertaker because I, I refuse to die. I, I think that just makes a lot of sense. And then also, uh, on another note, the fact that I, you know, I, I still kind of hang around like the dead man show that he does, the one dead man show kind of thing. And, you know, I, I just think that that's more fitting. Ric Flair had a lot more fun. Under, Undertaker seems like a homebody, kind of like me. So uh, so it, it, it lines up in that way. But I'm, I'm happy to be back with Bluff City Media, obviously through GBB. Happy to be working for Parker. The, the shoe is on the other foot now. And uh, Parker's a great boss, so is Mark King. And, you know, they just kind of let me do what I want to do at this point, which is right. And, um, you know, Parker handles all the, the organizational stuff, and I, I get to be a writer. So it's almost like a, an editor emeritus without all the responsibility. It's a pretty sweet gig. Yeah, you know, you get to write. You have, uh, you have people using your promo codes, and uh, you're, yeah. you're back on GBB. And, you know, it's, it's a blast having you back. Uh, I don't, Is anybody I don't really, really surprised? Probably not, right? Like that, that, that you yeah, know, like when I mean, really. honestly, well, I mean, when this move, like when this whole move came to be with the uh, Bluff City Media, you know, uh, we were already going through a little bit of change, losing mm-hmm. our hustle guy, assistant to the site manager, Brandon Abraham, and yeah, and Joe Molinax was not going to let GBB die out. So no, I, no, I respect it. I, I literally have had one hobby the last nine years of my life, and it's the Memphis Grizzlies So, uh, and Grizzly Bear Blues. So, no, I, I was not going to let Vox, who I still get paychecks from. So, shout out to Vox and SB Nation. Yeah, oh, so do uh, I. Check out, I did too. Ch- so check, out, check out my article easy. about the Sacramento Kings on Monday. Um, so, but don't want to trash them too much because they still pay me. Yeah. But, you know, I, I obviously value what, what we did at Grizzly Bear Blues, and it's nice to see it as part of Bluff City Media and Everybody there has been pretty awesome. I think it's been as close to seamless as a transition as you could ask for. And, you know, th- there's a bit of a, a disconnect at times with uh, having to pay for, like, my articles and your articles. But, you know, I would say our work is comparable to anybody's, you know. And now, as I've said a couple of times, we're playing with the big boys, right? We used to say we're the best free option for coverage. Well, we're, we're not completely free anymore. So we have to step up our game. I know that you've done that. And hopefully I'll continue to do that as a writer myself. And, you know, we'll keep helping build Bluff City Media to keep GBB rolling. Right. And, you know, we're, we're trying our best. You know, I know it, it's a very touchy subject with um, a free content versus a paywall. But, I mean, just for like five bucks a month. I mean, Grizzly, with Joe and I and Grizzly Bear Blues, and as long as well as like Chip Williams, Nate Chester, Sean Coleman, Bryson Wright, mm-hmm. uh, Luad and Seabury, they, a lot of those people have written – insider pieces i mean we get something every weekday so for 20 like 25 insider pieces a month at, at at least that's 20 cents per article like 
And that doesn't even include all the Tiger stuff that you get as well. We're trying to make it worth it over at Bill City, uh, obviously. Um, just, you know, if you have any questions, always reach out to me. I never mind. But let's get into the show. We People don't want to l- listen to a 30-minute podcast no, talking about Bluff City Media and all the great stuff there. Let's talk about the Memphis Grizzlies who are finding their groove right now. They have won. I'm trying to piece it together in my head. Is it five of the past six? Five and three in the eight games without John Morant is probably the best okay. way to describe it. So they, they've won yeah, five Royer. and three in those games. They obviously uh, had the massive comeback against the Spurs. They had the drumming of the Golden State Warriors, which is always fun to say out loud when it's true. Um, they've done a pretty good job, the Grizzlies have, of navigating this insanity. Because, you know, obviously with all of the John Morant stuff, Steven Adams still being out in terms of on-court product is massively important. And then, of course, Brandon Clark's injury, which I know crushes your spirit. Uh, you know, losing him is extremely important as well uh, for a variety of different reasons. So they're, they're five of their last – they're five and one in their last six, which is pretty remarkable. Two of those wins being against Golden State, two coming against Dallas, a weakened Dallas Mavericks team. That won't be the case Monday. I believe Kyrie mm-hmm. will be playing in that game. Uh, the one loss they had was in Miami against the Heat. And, you know, they've shown some gumption, some grit in that comeback against the Spurs. And, you know, they've, they've shown some dominant levels of play from guys like Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. And that, that that's all reason to be optimistic, you know, if they can find a way to integrate Ja, which I know we'll talk about here in a moment, uh, successfully, mm. then, you know, maybe the season isn't as lost as it felt two weeks ago. Absolutely. And uh, one of those names I do want to talk about, because I, I know we will get to, you know, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. here later in the show, but we got to talk about Luke Kennard, man, who yeah. became a little divisive on Grizzlies Twitter for some reason, you know? So uh, dumb. Here's the thing with Luke Kennard. The dude's a sniper. I mean, the dude might be a better shooter than Desmond Bain. If we're being, as far as accuracy, and timing of his release, I mean, key word being shooter, right? Nobody would say yeah. that he's a better player than Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain is very clearly a better player in terms of the pure school of skill of shooting. I think there is a debate to be had there. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, uh, but the utilization, you know, you're trying to figure that out to an extent because it felt like he wasn't shooting enough threes. Uh, as a Memphis Grizzly thus far, I mean, I'm looking prior to prior to that Miami game on Wednesday, he was only attempting four threes a game, shooting 45.5% from three. And uh, his defensive woes were outweighing his three-point volume, which led people to be outraged. Whereas I wrote for Bluff City Media, an insider piece, on why the answer wasn't less Luke Kennard because of his defense. It's more Luke Kennard because of what he does at an elite level as a three-point shooter and what he can do at a solid level as a playmaker, somebody who's going to keep the ball movement moving in the offense, somebody who can run an offense when John Morant, Tyus Jones are on the floor. And I felt like that Miami game, you know, they put him in garbage time and he was able to quickly kind of show the his shooting chops. I think he hit like four threes in the fourth quarter there and you're, I was following along with you on Twitter, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this Luke guy, he can shoot." And crazy. Like, and but you know, everybody wants to focus on what's going poorly, especially when this stretch <sighs> of the season hasn't been great. And then right. played a big role in that. And like the bigger things for me is like, can he shoot more? And we'll get into that in a minute. Can he shoot more? And can he play them more? Because even in that. He wasn't averaging a whole lot of minutes, as many minutes as he should have been averaging for a Memphis Grizzlies team without John Morant. He was averaging in his in his 11 games for the Memphis Grizzlies prior to – actually, let's add that Miami Heat game into the mix here. He was averaging roughly like tw- less than 21 minutes a game in 12 games. And then uh, Saturday night – or Friday night against San Antonio, he was a catalyst in that – Comeback victory along with Kenneth Lofton Jr. I got to give those flowers when necessary because people wanted sure. to dunk on me on Twitter and stuff. So, but Luke Kennard hit 
uh, four of his seven three-point attempts in that Spurs game. He also had three assists and four steals. And then against the Golden State Warriors, uh, the other or last night technically, he was four of eight from three, hit four three, his four threes in the first half. And he also had five assists there. And I think the big keys there, because a lot of the Canard minutes had been shaky as he's getting integrated into the mix, plus 21 against the Spurs, plus four against the Warriors. And, you know, it looks like he's getting comfortable. And, Joe, I just want you to kind of speak on, I guess, this Luke Kennard experience and, then I guess, your side of things because, kind of like like me, like when they made this deal for Luke Kennard, like people should have been more hyped about getting a 45% three-point shooter who can also create for his teammates for just Danny Green, who was coming off a brutal knee injury at 35 and three second-round picks. So where do you stand here? Yeah. Um... Well, I, I stand in a familiar place uh, getting yelled at on Twitter, which has been, you know, roughly the last decade of my life. Um, my struggle, Parker, is that Grizzlies fans, and in fairness, fans of most professional sports teams or even college sports teams, they want to have their cake and eat it too, right? Like when you acquire a player, you want them to be perfect or you want them to be elite. You want them to be able to do everything at a solid level. Or better. And I think that what's happened with Luke Kennard, at least among fans, I'm not at practice, I'm not privy to coaches meetings and that sort of thing. At least among fans, I'm not trying to say that Luke Kennard's a good defender because he's not. He's average at best, probably worse than that. I'm trying to say, and I've said this multiple times, when you have someone that has an elite NBA skill, right? Like Luke Kennard has an elite NBA skill. He is an elite three-point shooter. That's not hyperbole. That's not Joe being Joe. Ah, uh, he's just talking out of his, you know, you know what? Look at the numbers. Watch the games. He is an elite three-point shooter. John Conchar is not an elite three-point shooter, right? In fact, you could look at everybody that's on the Grizzlies bench right now, and none of them, except for maybe Tyus Jones, if you want to talk about assist-to-turnover ratio and things like that, none of them are really elite at anything, right? Except for one dude. Luke Kennard, who's elite at shooting three-pointers. Now, if you have half-court offense issues, if you have concerns with spacing for superstar point guards like John Morant or even very good starting point guards like Tyus Jones, creating in the pick and roll, getting to the basket out for his floater, dribble penetration to kick out to open shooters, you need guys that opposing teams actually respect shooting the basketball. And we can't ignore that Dylan Brooks has had some success recently getting it, you know, regressing to the mean a little bit in terms of making some shots finally, but there is no regressing or progressing to the mean for Luke Kennard because his mean is elite. And there are two guys on the, on this roster that are elite NBA three point shooters, Desmond Bain and Luke Kennard. So I, if I were a coach, would be trying to find a way to get Luke Kennard on the floor as much as possible whether it is playing him at the one with Desmond Bain at the two. Again, I'm, I don't have illusions of grandeur, right? I think Luke is a smart basketball player. I think he's able to read opposing sets. I think you talked about his steals a moment ago. He's opportunistic in that way. I think that he finds himself in terms of positioning his body better than we gave him credit for. A, a rebound against the Warriors kind of stands out in my mind, or at least it, it could have been a clean offensive rebound for Golden State, I think, and he knocked it away. Uh, you know, he does things better than I think we expected him to. And that doesn't mean that he's good defensively. Like I said, he's average at best, and that's probably being kind. But he's not so bad defensively that it negates, especially as a reserve, what he is capable of offensively when given the opportunity. And I think these last couple of games, we've seen that, and hopefully Taylor Jenkins will continue to allow the elite skilled Luke Kennard to continue to excuse me, display that elite skill as part of the Memphis Grizzlies rotation. Right. Right. And like you're pointing to elite three point shooting and um, you know, he's led, he's leading the NBA in three point percentage right now, 46%. He led it last year at 44.9%. What are we talking about? The season before that he was, 
eighth at 44.6%. I mean, the dude has consistently shot 45% from three for the past three seasons. And one thing, too, is it's not like he's like Troy Daniels or anything. Like Troy Daniels, he was undersized, couldn't he defend, stunk. couldn't make reads. Troy Daniels stunk. He could only Luke shoot Kennard threes. Does not stink. Luke Kennard does not stink in that way. You you mentioned, you know, I brought this up, and I love Matt Hardlicka. Shout out to Matt Hardlicka. But he talked about how why are we showing film from a guy three years ago about what? Oh, I didn't realize that being twenty six, you were washed in the National Basketball Association. This is a guy yeah. who, given the opportunity in Detroit, was able to. Again, I'm not saying he's a lead at it. He's not Tyus Jones. He sure as hell isn't John Morant. But you know what Luke Kennard is capable of? Getting around one pick, dribbling a few times, passing to a dude in the corner. He can do that. And because of his own shooting skill, guess what those guys have to do, Parker? I know you know this. They have to go over screens. Well, what happens when they go over that screen? Defenses have to help. What happens when there's help? That means there's an open shooter somewhere. It's crazy how it works. We make this harder than it needs to be, right? Right. We make it harder than it needs to be. Find the open shooter. Have a good enough handle to be able to pass to someone else. Luke Kennard can do that for 14 minutes a game. And I, I'm sure you'll have me on in the offseason to talk about my Tyus Jones take. 14 minutes a game, that guy can do that, him and Desmond Bain. Pass to that guy. Quick dribble penetration, and Bain's better at it than Kennard. We, we overthink this some. And I, I, I you're not going to get somebody, unless it's a Mikel Bridges or a Kevin Durant, that is elite at everything or elite at a lot of things. The Grizzlies were able, to your point earlier, for a, a small, comparatively speaking, cost, get someone with an elite NBA skill. Just let him be elite, man. Just let him be elite. Yeah. If you want to play him with Jaron Jackson Jr. almost exclusively because of those offensive or defensive concerns, sure, there's ways to work that rotationally. Again, I'm not saying that Kennard is better defensively than he is. Again, he's average at best. But we have mm -hmm. to be real with what this team is working with. You can't, on one hand, say the half-court offense has to be improved, and then on the other hand, say you can't play Luke Kennard because of defensive concerns. He's the one guy on your reserve group that can help with the half-court offense struggles of the starters once Adams and Morant are back. Right. And it's also like one of those things, too, is like he helps Morant, too, because like you said, people got to help off. They can't help off canard because all jaws to do is kick it and it's open three ball from a elite three-point shooter so it opens up driving lanes for john morant which is a big part of their uh late game struggles you know when i was breaking it down it was mm -hmm. because teams weren't respecting dylan brooks in the middle of the worst shooting slump of his entire career Correct. and then you also had a paint-oriented big who was not going to shoot the ball whether it was steven right. adams brandon clark or xavier tillman and Desmond Payne, you know. He's an amazing three-point shooter, but a lot of the times on the floor, he was in a spot where it was an awkward passing radius for Jaw mm -hmm. to where a team the defenders were going to help just because, like, okay, we're going to make sure Jaw can't make that pass to Desmond Bain. Right. So now at that point, it's like, okay, it's either a wild contested shot in the paint from Jaw or Jaron Jackson Jr. from three, and that's or 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 a dump off into a to a big man, and that that's it. <clears throat> but now. They have a lot more optionality. And also, too, we talked about it earlier in the show. They don't have Brandon Clark, who was a reliable source of offense off the bench. I know he doesn't shoot threes or create his own shot or anything, but you can count on a consistent 8 to 12 points from Brandon Clark. Because you know what Brandon Clark is, Parker? Sorry to cut you off. You know what Brandon, you know what Brandon Clark is? He has an elite NBA skill. He's exactly. at finishing at the rim. Again, we're overthinking this, folks. You're, you are overthinking it. I'm talking to you, and I'm looking at you. You're, you're listening. I'm talk, you're overthinking this. Find people that have elite skills and let them play the game. Brandon Clark had an elite skill. Will he have that elite skill moving forward? Again, that's a subject for another podcast. He had yeah, Don't hurt me, an elite don't hurt me right now on my, on my I podcast. Want, I don't want to. It is your podcast. I'm sorry, Parker. I apologize. It's all good. So Luke Kennard yeah. of everybody that's there, Luke Kennard on the reserves, right? Cause again, the starters, you can make Steven Adams elite at rebounding. Jaron Jackson Jr. Elite at multiple things. Brandon Desmond Bain, elite at multiple things. John Morant, John Morant, Dylan Brooks, elite defender among the reserves. 
aside from Tyus and the assist to turnover bit, which he is a lead at, what else you got? Nothing, right? You've got nothing. Play the guy that should be your seventh man moving forward, assuming Tyus Jones plays better as a reserve than he has at any other point this season, which again, that's a topic for, you know, maybe later in the episode here. Um, He's your seventh man. He has to be, in my opinion. If you want to actually have half-court offense improvements, he has to be your seventh guy, and he has to play some minutes with Jaw because it'll help maximize that space like we were talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, real. Um, I'm going to get into another Luke Kennard-related topic, but first I do want to cut into some audio that Taylor Jenkins and Luke Kennard had to say about his offensive role and – kind of that let it fly mentality, a lot of great stuff in there that I think y'all would like. So we're going to transition to that real quick, and then Joe and I are going to chop it up here. All right, Kenny, and this is where you're going to put in a Luke Kennard, Taylor Jenkins stuff, and then edit this part out. Okay, cool. All right, yeah, so it, it's great to hear, Joe, that everyone is on Luke Kennard's case when it comes to shooting three-pointers because that has been – kind of the book on him since his Clippers run. Uh, obviously, in that first Clippers season, he didn't play alongside Kawhi Leonard at all that season. And then also, too, in, in they, and also I think they missed a lot of time from Paul George. So he somebody had to shoot, and it was Luke Kennard. He shot six threes a game, uh, shot 44.9% from three. And then with the Clippers this season, it fell to 3.8. He's at four total right now because it's at 4.6 per game with the Grizzlies. And I kind of want to get it from your, your point of view. Like, where so far, you know, I've talked about it seemed like Luke Kennard wasn't getting enough threes. I, in, my, in my article, I said, can he get at least six a game? Because, like, getting six threes a game from a reserve, pretty good. Like, a lot of starters – mainly get six getting six from a reserve would be great where Mm -hmm. do you kind of divide up the pie in your eyes when it comes to uh i I don't want to say the blame because like there's no one really it's not like a blame chart but who do you think's kind of been i guess uh a deterrent for luke Kennard? you know kind of slowly getting his three-pointer three-point attempts up and how how they haven't been as high as they would expect would it be taylor jenkins uh, his teammates not getting used to Kennard's spots, Kennard just passing up shots to fit in with the flow of the offense, or just give him some damn time because he just joined the team a month ago. I think it's a combination of all those things, Parker. Uh, I think Taylor Jenkins plays, you know, and I, I, I'm developing a reputation. John Conchar plays too much. Because, again, John Conchar is not a lead at anything. John Conchar is really good at being malleable. On Locked On Grizzlies last week, I compared him in Hangover Part 2 to when the father in that movie talks about Stu being rice, like that that moist, sticky rice that, you know, has no flavor, has nothing. But it, it's malleable. It can work with lots of different sauces and different ingredients. And that is kind of what John Conchar is, okay? He is malleable. He is not better than Luke Kennard. He shouldn't be playing. David Roddy... Obviously, I'm a little more okay with taking minutes from Luke Kennard because Roddy's been playing really well, right? And I think it's fair to say that, you know, David Roddy is more versatile than Luke Kennard. Roddy is taking the Dylan Brooks defensive assignments of the toughest guy on the perimeter when Dylan's not out there. I'm sure you've noticed that as well, Parker. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you do that with Luke Kennard, it's going to be a nightmare. I would not suggest that. So, again, if they wanted to play Roddy in front of Kennard, at least I, I might disagree with it, but at least I understand. I think Taylor Jenkins is not giving him enough opportunity. He has the last couple of games, and hopefully that continues. Kennard does need to shoot the ball more, as you mentioned, and he says it himself. He, going back to those Clippers days, he holds the ball too much. There was one shot where he he caught it and had a layup. It was almost like the Ben Simmons infamous, I'm right there to score it, and I'm going to pass the basketball. Um Obviously, Kennard's not the athlete that Simmons is, but he was there at the rim, and he decided that he wasn't going to shoot the layup for whatever reason. Uh, he, he's he's too generous. He needs to realize, you know, he he is an offensive weapon in his own unique way, and he needs to score. You know, they need him to score some points. I think that you know, anytime there's an in-season trade for someone that has a specific elite skill, 
It takes time to integrate that. It would be different if Mikel Bridges was here right now because he's just a really freaking good all-around basketball player. You throw him on the floor and it probably works out. Whereas with Kennard, you know, where are his spots? Does he like, where's his shooting pocket? Where does he like to receive the ball? How does he fit in terms of an offense that doesn't have a ton of set stuff for three-point shooters because they don't have a ton of three-point shooters? Right. So how do you make that link in the middle of a season? I think all of that adds up to Luke not getting the shots that he needs. But the good news is all of those things, if you make slight changes here or there, again, from Kennard to the coaching staff to the players themselves, I think that six per game is a realistic number. And again, he's shooting 45% from three. That means he's making almost three threes a game in 20-some minutes of playing. You know, that's almost 10 points, double-digit scoring every night. That's pretty helpful for a reserve. Extremely, extremely helpful. And that doesn't consider, you know, like there's going to be nights where, like against that Clippers, in that Clippers game, he hit five mm-hmm. of his, all five of his threes. And then last, or Saturday night against Warriors, four of eight, hit four of them in the in the second, in the first half, uh, three in the second quarter. Like that, that's like so, that's so huge to have off the bench. And I, like that, I, that's kind of where I stand, you know, uh, Taylor Jenkins, he runs a lot of pick and roll. Um, mm-hmm. I think they were like last time I checked, they were like sixth and pick and roll frequency uh, in the league, and they really rely on getting downhill and either finishing in the floater zone, getting a dump off to a big man that's either rolling or in the dunker spot, or hitting the opposite side corner for an open three. They're trying to get defenses to collapse and see what advantages are there. And so, with that, there's not a lot of looks for shooters, they have. Got a little better about running some sets for shooters. You know, I I still wish that Desmond Bain would shoot more threes, but yeah, that's a that's an entirely different topic. Especially but with Jai, that's kind of understandable though, right? It's tough. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And he's, I I would he's trade being asked to beat Jaw essentially right now in terms of his ability yeah. to get it to the. I would keep the the twenty two twenty five points a game and seven assists over the 10 three-pointers, if we're being completely honest, because that's showing growth right. in this game. But this this is not – we'll get into Desmond Bain here in a minute. <laughs> Luke Kennard, they're they're running more stuff for Luke, um, trying to run him off some screens, get him into different different spots on the floor to get his shots. One thing I noticed that he does extremely well, and it's very subtle, but it's a big thing that – uh, Grizzlies enemy number like one or two right now, Clay Thompson. It's something that he's perfected over the course of his career. And it's subtle relocating. They start mm-hmm. start in the corner, and as the drive is happening, you relocate to the wing to get into a better shooting pocket, better passing window for the driver. So when the defense is collapsing, their man's helping, and they're they're focused. The, his man is focused on the drive. He slides up into the wing. Boom right in the shooter pocket, three ball. Uh, and I think that's something Luke Kennard's excelled at. And again, it's just it's just letting it fly. It's just letting it fly. And I mean, for this Grizzlies team, a team that struggles with half-court offense and three-point shooting, if they're getting roughly, we'll say about 43% shooting on 12 to 13 attempts per game just from Desmond Bain and Luke Kennard alone, not considering right. anything you're getting from Jaron, anything you're getting from Luke Kinn- or not Luke Kennard, David Roddy, Dylan Brooks, Santi Aldama, Tyus Jones, Tyus Jones, who's like sneakily been a good volume shooter this year. Like mm-hmm. that, that's going to help your offense so much. Your help half court offense or your, uh, your three point shooting. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about about how all this is kind of transpiring thus far, and hopefully he does not have an 0 for five shooting night against Dallas as uh, by the time this goes up. But uh, mm-hmm. Joe, do you have any final Luke Kennard thoughts before we move on to the the next topic? Here? Man, even if he was 0 for five, he'd be shooting 43 or 44 percent instead of 48 or 49, right? Like again you have to go with the sample size of his skill set. He is an elite three-point shooter. You need spacing, especially if you're trying a dribble kick offense. You need that guy out there. You need him on that wall. Put him out on the wall. Let him be that guy for you. Stop making excuses as to why it's not working and let him be elite at what he's really, really good at. 
That's why you pay him. You don't pay him to be a, a, a plus plus defender. You pay him to have an elite impact offensively and be good enough defensively for that impact to be felt. Absolutely. As as me and my fellow Gen Zers say, just let him cook. Just just let, let him, him cook. cook. Yeah. Him so cook. as you can tell, uh, I do not it. say that often. <laughs> Yes, sir. So by the time this is up, uh, John Morant will be back with the team. Taylor Jenkins did mention that there will be a ramp up process for him. As Jaw even said in his, I think he said it in his interview with Jalen Rose that he had not played basketball since going to Florida for, I, I don't want to call It's not rehab. I, there, I don't know counseling. what it is. Counseling. Counseling. Yeah. Counseling. Yeah. yeah. For going, going, yeah. he didn't, he didn't hoop when, um, at counseling, you know, that's understandable. You're focusing on yourself. You're focusing on your mental being. You got to take that time for yourself. You got to let yourself heal. It's just like an injury. You got to let yourself heal before you get back on the floor. Uh, so ho hopefully, you know, maybe by the time this goes up, he'll be playing on either uh, tonight's quote air quotes for the people listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that, um, or on Friday night against the Houston Rockets. I think Rockets games are a perfect ramp up, in my opinion. Yeah, but, yeah. So, but there, there's a like you've alluded to a reintegration process for uh, getting John Brandt back into the flow of things. Uh, obviously, um, I, I'm not entirely worried about like any sort of like locker room dynamics. Every, they've all embraced Jaw and they've been with him throughout this entire process. And I know uh, Jaw's in multiple statements has apologized to the team for his actions. I'm not worried about the, all that, but I mean, there's always that reintegration process when getting a guy back, especially when your team is kind of, it's kind of, you know, hitting a stride a little bit, you know, as we said, they're five and three since that whole, uh, since uh, Jaws been away from the team, they've won five of their past six games as of this recording. And even if they lose against Dallas, it'll be five of their past seven games. So still they're playing really well. They're getting a lot of great contributions and this isn't saying like, oh, how is Jaw going to mess things up or anything? Because at the end of the day, you're getting an all-NBA point guard back. Like you're, you're getting an all-NBA point guard back into the mix that is averaging 28 points and eight assists a game this season. Seems and good. You're at, that's good. I, I would say that's good. So what's the biggest thing that you're going to be watching, Joe, as John Morant and the Grizzlies are kind of just getting back to the swing of things together? I think that, you know, and I, I talked about it a little bit earlier. For me, it's not so much John Morant because John Morant, he's going to have some rust, but John Morant's going to come back and be John Morant, you know, when he's on the floor, uh, an all NBA level guard. That, that's what he is at this stage as a scorer, as a creator off the dribble, as an athlete. He's one of the top 15 or so players in the NBA, no question. Might take a couple of games to get back to that. But as you alluded to, Parker, if you had to pick a ramp up opponent, it's the Houston Rockets. So I would imagine Ja will start Wednesday. I'm making a bold prediction. And again, like you said, we're, uh, maybe egg gets on my face. I would believe or the pie. that Morant is going to, yeah, or pie. Yeah, that's true. I do have history recently with pies. Um, I, I think that he's going to play Wednesday. I think he'll, he's not going to come off the bench. He's going to start and he might only play 25 minutes in both those games. Like maybe he's on a minutes limit. Uh, I could see that happening, but they, they might not just, they might need him for only those 25 minutes because of how bad Houston is. Uh, and again, both games are at home and the Grizzlies are much better at home than they are on the road. I am more concerned about Tyus Jones and I've written about this for Bluff City Media I've talked about it online and people, oh, good uh, Joe, how can you say Trey Tyus? He's done so much. Grow up. All right, grow up. Do, do simple math, right? You have heard, uh, Parker, you have heard Zach Kleiman say explicitly, Dylan Brooks was not shopped as part of trade line deals that would have included Kevin Durant, Mikel Bridges, right? That is what was said by Zach Kleiman, correct? Yeah. Correct. Okay. So unless he's a liar, which maybe he is, because sometimes, you know, they, they don't tell you the exact truth. I, I will say, too. I will say, too. Okay. If you keep a guy 
on your team after the mm-hmm. trade deadline. You're not going to tell the media that he was sure. being shot to the trade deadline. That's so, fair. yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. So, well, let's let's just for the sake of being crazy here, let's take him at his word, right? Brandon Clark, maybe that's a tradable contract. Steven Adams, unlikely, and he was injured, I believe, at the time. So he probably wasn't going to be somebody that was fully engaged in, in trade conversations. And even if he was healthy, he's pretty significant, as we've talked about here, there, and everywhere. Who's left? Who's left money-wise? It's Tyus Jones. And John Morant, for all his flaws, is about to enter a max contract where he's making, as of this moment, even you know, let's say he still gets the Supermax. Maybe it goes up. But if he doesn't get the Supermax, he's making $33,500,000 next season. Tyus Jones is making $14 million. You want to tie up $47-plus million in two dudes that can't play together? I would rather not do that. So Tyus has not been a good reserve this year. Again, I've written about it. He, he's just not the same player. He's a very good NBA starter when he starts. But the problem with saying you're the best backup point guard in the NBA is eventually you're not going to start, right? Like he's essentially, he's the best NBA insurance policy. If John Morant regresses, if John Morant falls back into bad habits and they kick him out for the rest of the season, Tyus Jones can fill that void pretty admirably. He's not job, but he's a good NBA starter. But Tyus Jones has not been a good NBA reserve this season. So for me, the reintegration of John Morant has more to do because I expect Jaw to be Jaw, and I expect him to maybe even be better because he's going to be pissed off, right? And again, you yeah. can say whether he would be pissed off or not. That's or more mentally cleared. Sure. Well, I think he's going to be pissed off. Like I think he's going to go in there. All these people doubt him. You know, the same reason he is as good as he is. You know, now there's doubters again, right? Like there are people that are doubting him, and he wants to prove them wrong. Um. So I, I think that the Tyus. You know, it's how do you maintain this level of contribution? Because if you don't, now you're looking at a reserve unit that is once again struggling, right? And obviously Taylor Jenkins never goes to a true, you know, second lineup anyway. And hopefully he sticks as the playoffs get closer with that nine-man rotation. It would probably be at this point uh, without Steven Adams, uh, an end of regular season nine-man rotation is probably Santi Aldama, uh, Tyus Jones, Luke Kennard, obviously, and then, you know, maybe John Conchar, somebody along those David lines. Roddy. David, David Roddy. Roddy. Yeah, I would prefer yeah. David Roddy. Um, so maybe Conchar's the odd man out. I, I, that's what I would like. Uh, but I just, I've watched enough Taylor Jenkins now that Conchar will be in that mix because he hates me. Um, <laughs> I, I think that for me, it's more about Tyus Jones. You know, that's a, that's a long-winded answer, but I'm good at those. I, I yeah. worry about him being in a position to contribute how he is now in shorter amounts of time in a different role because we haven't seen it this season. In the past, we've seen it. But, you know, as you've written about for years, Parker, the best, you could argue, the best two-man rotation second unit in the NBA the last couple of years has been Brandon Clark and Tyus Jones. Yep. Brandon Clark and Tyus Jones were the worst pairing among Tyus Jones in terms of plus minus on NBA.com slash stats. They were the worst this season between Tyus and Brandon. So um, I I think that there's something going on there with him as a reserve. And if it doesn't get fixed, you know, that's going to hamper what the Grizzlies are capable of. But again, that's 12 to 14 minutes a game. Yeah. So like my, my, my take on the whole Tyus Jones reserve thing well, we could be honest. We could be honest here. You can say that the offseason moves were justified, but at the end of the day, they did lose Kyle Anderson to Anthony Melton. They they lost depth, and they were trying to integrate. Zy- and then Zaire Williams was out for six weeks, and his injury just derailed his entire season. So I, oh, I would yeah. say he's, he had he had momentum in that summer league and preseason. I liked what he was cooking. And preseason and summer league, that injury, he was playing catch up and it just got to his head, in my opinion. And then you also had David Roddy and Jake Laravia getting rotation minutes, learning the ins and outs of the NBA with, guess who on the floor? Tyus Jones. 
And then you also have John Conchar, who I think, I mean, his on-offs are the best among uh, reserves. But John Conchar, kind of like sneakily, kind of like Tyus, he's been better as a starter than as a reserve. And then, because again, like you said earlier in the show, malleability. And then also too, with Jaron Jackson Jr.'s injury, a lot of those Tyus Brandon lineups, Brandon was the lone big man next to David Roddy or Jake LaRavia or Santi Aldama, who's been great. He's been good this season, but I mean, Santi doesn't exactly apply as much pressure on the glass as a rebounder than even like Jaron Jackson Jr. So that's kind yeah, of glass. concerned been... about Luke Kennard's defense, you need to be worried about Santi Aldama's defense too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just kind of saying that I think the Tyus Jones reserve thing is kind of – uh, exaggerated just by the depth. The it's, the bench has kind of changed all of a sudden. And I think he's – I think there's a kind of a groove to be finding because you have Luke Kennard now coming off the bench. David Roddy p- provides a little bit more upside. But I here's what I think should happen when you're inter- reintegrating John Morant when it comes to Tyus Jones. And I'm actually going to steal something from a from a um, a short-lived substat called Welcome uh, Written in the Dark. <laughs> I think – Taylor Jenkins needs to f- change the rotation to where I would have, and instead of in that first substitution, instead of Santi Aldama and uh, Luke Kennard, which just recently changed, it was Santi and, Luke, and uh, John Contar. But he, and he's typically gone with his first subs being the four and the two because they want Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. coming in later. Mm-hmm. And I get that. Why not have John Morant? Come out first, let Tyus play with, and then have. So I would say go Tyus and Santi out first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have Santi come in for Xavier Tillman and have Tyus come in for Jaw. So now you have Tyus, Bain, Brooks, Santi, and Jaren on the floor together. Mm-hmm. And you're letting Jaw prime or not Jaw Ty is primarily play with starters because he's playing with Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, and Jaron Jackson Jr. I guess that's how you can get his rhythm going. And then after, and then shortly after, later in the quarter, you can or you have Luke Kennard come in. Now you have Tyus and Luke, and then to start the second quarter, I know they typically put Jaron Jackson Jr. in the game, but now you can have John. You can have a the second quarter starting lineup, starting lineup, air quotes for my mm-hmm. audio only people, John Morant, Luke Kennard, David Roddy, and then, uh, shoot, now this is kind of get dicey. Um, you have Xavier Tillman at center and then just whatever the heck you want to do with the four, whatever you want to do with it. That's, that's how I would explore kind of tackling that Tyus starter versus Tyus reserve kind of deal which i feel like you agree with me because you yeah you're the one that wrote it yeah back in the written in the dark days uh loved that sub stack uh it was very popular um uh yeah no i i think that there's ways to try to work around it but again if i as an armchair gm am building a roster if i am going to have 48 million dollars tied up in two players i want them to be able to play together that's a sizable chunk of totally. cap. And, and Tyus and Ja can't really play together. You know, your eyes tell you that. The numbers also agree with that. They back it up. So since they can't, you know, you're essentially paying Tyus to be uh, an insurance policy. To your point, though, in the here and now, that doesn't necessarily matter. That's more of an off-season question. How do you get Tyus in that place? The best way to do it is to change the rotation. And Ja has been out long enough that I don't know that it's that disruptive. I think that it's fairly possible if they're willing to do it and if Jaw is willing to do it. Obviously, he needs to be on board with it. Um, but I, I think that it would help a lot because it would enable Tyus to get more run in that more traditional starting sense. And it would also give Jaw a chance to play with Kennard more, you know, whether it's Roddy or whether it's Brooks. Obviously, they need somebody at three to help them defensively. But as far as, you know, John Luke, I see a lot of potential there, you know, similar to mm-hmm. John Bain, not the same level because Bain's a little bit better creator than Kennard is, but Kennard still has that skill set. And 
I see Ja benefiting from having more minutes with a guy like Kennard who has similar elite skill to Bain. You know, that that will be valuable. And again, Tyus next to Desmond, we've seen it for the last eight games. It's pretty successful. Absolutely. And one thing I do want to get into before uh, before we close the show here, and I guess my my portion of the mm-hmm. uh, reintegration of John Morant process is continuing to empower Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain. One thing mm-hmm. I wrote about earlier this month when dissecting their late game offense was that there wasn't enough Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. It was call 12. And granted, it works. We've seen a lot of special moments happen in in this inception of Grizz next gen. Right. From simply calling 12. And he's a potent driver. He's one of the most frequent drivers and pick and roll players in the league. He does really well getting to that floater. You just manipulating his body in the middle of the air and just really just having the defense in the palm of his hands. I get it. But at the end at, at the same time. Off the counter, teams are just collapsing. I said this earlier in the show. Teams are just collapsing on John on the drive. And here lately, you've seen this really cool version of Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr. unlock. Over the past eight games, Desmond Bain is averaging 5.5 assists. And he's had five or let's say, yeah, let's say six or more assists. And one, two, three, four, five of those eight games he's had Six or more assists. That's good for a shooting guard. Let's get into Jaron Jackson Jr. real quick. And it's in these eight games, 22 points per game while shooting 50% from the field, seven rebounds a game, three stocks. And he's also had 25 or more in the past three games. And he's had over 20 shot attempts in both the Spurs and the Warriors game. So my my thing is how like I, I want them to kind of balance that however it works. Cause I mean, obviously, Jaw's elite. Jaw, Jaw, let's be real. Jaw is a, we'll say, depending on your bias or whatever, he's like a top 12 player in the league, which is still in the top less than one percent in the league. Jaw's in that. Now, how do you continue to unlock this version of Jaron Jackson Jr., unlock this version of Desmond Bain? Because also, too, at the end of the day, it's only going to help Ja. A right. more featured Jaron Jackson Jr. You, utilizes John Morant's playmaking a lot more. And he can manipulate defenses with his drive, get defenses collapse. There goes Jaron Jackson Jr., and it's a three or a slow big man tries to come and close out. Jaron's getting downhill to the rim. It's a layup. And or and then with this with Desmond Bain, he's become unlocked as a playmaker. What does that do? That gets off ball jaw going where he can start being utilized as a cutter. You know, Desmond mm. Bain can be driving on the left side. And here comes John Morant crashing from the right wing dish. And maybe somebody gets dunked on. Who knows? Mm. I, I'm just saying I don't want to minimize jaw at the expense of jaron jackson jr and Desmond Bain. i'm not advocating that at all i'm actually saying empower jaron jackson jr and Desmond Bain to keep doing what they're doing because they're going to make the game so much easier and even better for john Morant. it's going to make him even more unpredictable in my opinion and i think that's just what's going to help unlock a an even better version of a grizzlies offense going into the postseason well and to your point parker you know, John Morant, the Taylor Rooks interview, you know, a lot has been made of that. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you're the anchor, you can't tell that you're drowning, kind of paraphrasing there. I know that's not the exact quote. Um, yeah. You know, I think that we apply that to his off the court issues. You could argue on a much less important scale, at least in terms of his mental health, it, it it's a, applicable on the court, too, for the exact reason that you said, you know, call 12 is fun and it certainly has ended pretty well at times. But that has to feel pretty damning, pretty overwhelming in terms of I have to be this guy. Now, if he, you know, fully trusts Jaron Jackson Jr. And again, a game against the Lakers stands out in my mind where he dished it out to Jaron and he hit a three to win in L.A. in the last couple of years. 
You know, he's done that from time to time. But as the years have gone on, you know, he has certainly been more, okay, I'm just going to go Superman this thing. And he gets to the basket and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. He doesn't have to do it alone. He doesn't have to go down this road alone. And I think Bain and Sharon have shown, even though Ja is that top, you know, 1% player in the NBA, you know, Sharon and Bain are, you know, top 2 to 3% at this point. Like if you, I think you'd be really hard pressed to find a top 40 list that doesn't have all three of those dudes on it. You know, Ja might be the, you know, in the top 10 to 12, like you said, but, you know, are you really taking Jer- any, you know, 30 other players before Jaron Jackson Jr.? Are you really taking 40 other players before Desmond Bain? I'm not sure you are anymore. So he has the help. The core is there. And hopefully through this process, he's watched them play. And he's seen that they're capable of doing these things. He needs to not necessarily let go a little bit, but he needs to rediscover that trust that there's other guys that can help him carry this burden while he is the guy. You know, that doesn't mean there aren't others by your side to, to lighten the load some. Right. Yeah. And then to your point on like you'll it's hard to not build a top 40 list without those three guys. The ringer.com has all three of those guys in their top 40. Doesn't mean that 40. But yeah, and it's just one of those things too. I guess the thing that's more tantalizing for me is just what Jaron Jackson Jr. is becoming right now. Because you tweeted yeah. this on multiple – what's up? Yeah, he's Giannis Light. And the thing – it's one of those things where it's like him him realizing these mismatches, the fact that, hey, I'm either going to have somebody too small or too slow on me. Your teammates also saying, abuse these mismatch. Go get, go get a bucket. I want to tap – I want to tap into that. I really, I really want to see what a fully unlocked Jaron Jackson Jr. looks like because if Jaron Jackson Jr. can become Jaws 1B, if we're being totally honest. Right now, I would say it's a 2A, 2B with Desmond Bain. And if, and if Jaron Jackson Jr. becomes your John Morant's 1A, their, their championship odds increase, in my opinion. But one of the flaws to that, and you and I have talked about this, and this is kind of the unspoken, but it has been spoken on, you know, John Jin have yet to develop that chemistry, especially offensively for a team that is so pick and roll heavy, as you've talked about, you know, a lot of times it's not John Jared in initiating those sets. It's Jaw and Steven Adams. The argument for Xavier Tillman has been he's the most comparable screener to Steven Adams. It's not John Jaron until, you know, maybe a, a crunch time situation and because of injuries and all sorts of other contexts, they haven't fully had an off season, a summer for whatever to, to fully realize each other in that way. And I think that, you know, the reintegration of Morant is trying to find as good an easy season answer to that as you can, because you're right. I mean, Jaron has, has leveled up and to lose that, especially with Brandon Clark out, especially with Steven Adams, assuming he comes back this season, you know, he's obviously going to be rusty after missing so much time going into the playoffs. You you need this version of Jaron Dexon Jr. alongside John Morant. There can't be a regression. Absolutely. And uh, Joe, this is about, you know, all the time we have. Just any hmm. final remarks before we close the show? Well, I think that the big thing for this Grizzlies team is kind of rediscover that joy, right? Like I watch the Sacramento Kings because I have league pass. So I watch the Sacramento Kings play every once in a while. And they they are the ones of the immaculate vibes now. Nobody's saying the Memphis Grizzlies have immaculate vibes, right? That That's no longer the case. Whereas, you know, in Sacramento, it's like looking into a mirror from the last year or two in terms of how much mm-hmm. they're having fun and enjoying being together and, before expectations you know that really fun time that you hear people talk about where you know the team's just getting good right that's what the grizzlies have been recently that's what the kings are now i just want them to kind of rediscover that in the last couple of games they have you know that there's been some energy there's been some joy on the side and on the court with jaw coming back hopefully feeling a little bit lighter from his own personal burdens that he's been dealing with 
I want to see that over the next few weeks. Because again, without Mikel Bridges, without Kevin Durant, insert whatever wing, OG, Ananobi, whoever, you know, are the Grizzlies capable of making the NBA Finals? Yeah. Is it likely? No, it's it's not. So you you want them to get back to who they were. And I'm not even necessarily mainly because again, Brandon Clark's not going to be playing, right? So that's not realistic in that personnel sense. But in terms of their culture, who they are organizationally, you know, you can't have that without a healthy John Morant. So above, and I mean mentally healthy John Morant. So above all the X's and O's and scheme and all that stuff, you know, part of the joy of this era of Grizzlies basketball has been them just, you know, being young and loving playing together. And I, I, I hope that they find that between this recording and the next time I'm talking with you, because, you know, without that, you know, you're, you're, you're a, a miserable team that's underachieving. You're the Atlanta Hawks firing a coach mid season. You're the, you know, you're, you're the Chicago bulls trying to figure out what the hell happened. You, you want to try to rediscover that spark. So I'm envious of the Sacramento Kings right now. And I hope the Grizzlies can get their groove back in that particular way. Yeah, I see it happening. You know, um, obviously I think uh, you may not get the, uh, the post game gritties or the, it's a parade inside my city or sure. Um, kind of uh, the more audacious audacity we've seen. But I think that's also part of their maturation process at the same time. They're, they, this is their kind of their wake up calls. Like, oh, we need to grow up. We need to, we need to lock in. So, you know, I, I would trade being locked in, you know, uh, as long as there's still good basketball, which that Warriors game was incredibly fun to, to see. It's always fun to mm-hmm. kind of make a fool of Clay Thompson. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Joe, I appreciate you coming on the show with me. Anything else you want to plug in before I? kind of get rolling with these plugs bluffcitymedia.co slash join i have a feeling you're going to talk about that you know come join us be a part of some local media you know one of the knocks of gbb when i was running it was you know being a nationally driven you know arm and me not being there in the city you know now our site manager or excuse me our grizzlies editor uh parker fleming is in the city it is a local business that we're a part of at gbb so you know, support a local business and help us continue. Like Parker has said, the Grizzlies, the Tigers, 901 FC soccer, you know, literally, I think we're even covering the Memphis showboats of the USFL. Like there's so much that Bluff City Media is doing. In addition to our Grizzlies content, it's worth not getting Starbucks once a month, in my opinion. So uh, that that would be my my plug is go go join Bluff City Media. It's worth it. You know, I was going to make the Starbucks joke, too. We're on the same. Uh, same I'm sorry. It's not, it's, it's not even a joke, though. Um, One less double down yeah. from KFC. But, but yeah, uh, you know, yeah. But Joe said, bluffcitymedia.co slash join for just $5 a month. You get all this premium insider content. Other Grizzlies, like we're writing insider pieces at least one a day, every weekday, Monday through Friday. That's not even accounting for all the stuff you're getting from people like Christian Fowler for uh tiger basketball tiger football we're even covering like the smaller tiger sports like baseball softball women's basketball who's had a, who had a really good season this season mm-hmm. uh we're 901 fc memphis showboats uh the memphis americans indoor soccer mm-hmm. league like we want to cover everything in memphis like this is a local media outlet so trying to cover every element of sports inside this city and um you know mean a lot if you subscribe you can also uh Subscribing gets you into this uh, pretty cool Discord to get to talk about mm. the game with all these Buff City Media people and other fans trying to just join in the party. There's also uh, some inside information uh, disclosed in there, uh, mainly and especially too. Even though the Tigers are out, it's portal season. So portal season, baby. Why why not get a little dose of what could be going on in the portal before anything's announced? For just five dollars a month, it's pretty pretty cool, pretty good deal in my opinion. But yeah, um, if you don't, if you don't already do so, follow us on Twitter at Pacaflaca at Joe Molinax. Uh, follow the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Read all of our work over at BluffCityMedia.co, and make sure you are subscribing to the uh, Memphis Grizzlies or Grizzly Bear Blues, excuse me, podcast network. 
and to uh, the Bluff City Media YouTube channel as well. Uh, we got a lot of stuff we're trying to cook, uh, thanks to people like uh, Kenny Stubblefield, Xavier Dotson, and uh, sh- uh, to quote Dylan Brooks, kudos to myself. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, um, but you know, that's about all the time we have. So we'll see you next week. Uh, We'll see you. Make sure you subscribe. Bluff City Media. It's lit.